some of you have heard this story before, but I remember the first time that um, I heard anything about Advent. Uh, I was in New York City, and Marcus and I have uh, a woman that we call our New York mother. Some of you met her. Uh, we call her Aunt Elaine. Uh, she's our New York mother, but she loves the church seasons and the church calendar and keeping up with all of the liturgy and the scriptures assigned for every day, not just every Sunday, but every day the scriptures that are assigned. She is, she is a, a, a high church kind of, kind of person, right? And, and you, you know, our culture is a little bit different in the South. There, there are these African Americans in the Northeast that actually have orchestras and classical music and they sing Negro spirituals and Mozart and all this kind of, no gospel or drums are allowed. Am I, am I lying to me? Tell her, see, she's clapping. See, yeah. We go back and forth about some things. But anyway, and these churches like their church seasons and keeping up with what scriptures are to be read and what rituals are to be followed and Advent is one of those times that there are certain rituals to be followed. So I'll never forget, Aunt Elaine says to me, oh, you just must have an Advent wreath on your dining table. Because apparently I'm supposed to light the candle. This week, I'm supposed to have that same kind of wreath sitting on my dining table, and every day I need to light the whole candle this week and remind myself that we are in a moment of hope and waiting for the coming of Christ, commemorating Christ's coming in the past, and waiting on that birth to happen anew in this season. Now, I just thought to myself, now this just seems to be a little silly. I have to go out, I have to get this wreath, and I have to light the candle, and I have to go through this ritual. I've never heard of this before. Don't these people know about prayer and fasting and, you know, this, all of these rituals? That Jesus came to deliver us from all of this religiosity. You know, I'm from the South. You, got, you can't have too many rules and too many rituals. That's not, that ain't holy, it ain't of God, because it don't change it. If the wreath changes me, I'll do it. And then I decided not to get a wreath, and so Aunt Elaine, being our New York mother, shows up with a wreath, <laughs> puts it on the table, and tells us that we need to be lighting those candles every day throughout that particular season. There are some rituals that may be foreign to you all, and some that are very new to me. But I find that this is one ritual that we need to continue to keep. Advent season is really important for us as a church to kind of mark time. The reality and the truth is, and I've said this for the last three years, Advent is actually the start of our year. We get all wrapped up with January 1, but this is actually where we need to be beginning our story. Amen? Amen? This is actually where our story begins. Our story doesn't begin after we pop a bottle of dawn. Carry on for the people that don't drink. <laughs> or drink the coke or market. That's not when our year begins. Our year begins now as we await 
the coming of Christ, as we commemorate his previous coming, and as we await him to be born anew in our lives again. Advent is about waiting. It is about anticipation, as the video said, and also a time of preparation. It is about Christ coming in the past, in the present, and in the future. That's why we say Christ died, Christ is risen, Christ is here, and Christ shall come again. That's why we say it every week. Advent is when we, as Christians, we remember and we reset and we work towards the coming of Christ. Past, present, future. Advent is about our hoping and waiting and the anticipation of Christ to come. Now there's some debate about what colors, as you see Mona and Joshua are wearing purple, but the sanctuary is in blue and I'm wearing blue. The video said purple. Look, take your pick. Whatever you want to do, suit yourself. You have a choice in this season. Lent, however, is purple. We move to the color purple in Lent. Advent is about hope and waiting. Lent is about repentance. In between there is Mardi Gras. So in Advent, in Advent, you, get, you work on hoping and waiting and inviting Christ in and getting your life right. In February, you go tear your life up. Yeah. And in March, you work on repenting on all the stuff you did in that short period of time. This is why the church calendar is important. Some other churches don't follow it, but I just solved all your problems for the next three months. Reset. Go sin. Repent. And some of us haven't learned to not do the same sin the next year. We still, anyway, that's what I'm saying. I, mean, I told y'all I wasn't going to create a list to read. I won't create a list. I won't do that. I won't go there. But this is why the church calendar is important. That we take this time to reflect. What would it mean for you to actually take every day this week to think about hoping for Christ? To think about the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, that anticipation, and that waiting in this season. There is no doubt a lot of anxiety and stress and all of the things that come along with Christmas. If you want the solution for that, maybe an Advent wreath on your table and light the candle about hope, peace, love, and joy every, every day is a way to step back and say, I know he wanted a PlayStation or a Wii. I know she wanted a car. I know I needed to get these lights up and the Christmas tree. I know all of this is happening. But that old cliche rings true, and I'll say it every year. Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen. Now in this time, for this next week, we will be focusing on hope. And I've had 
a lot of struggle with hope throughout my life and figuring out what is it that I need hope for. This week we are hopeful that we can move through this season stress-free, anxiety-free, and focus on God being born in our life. We hope that we can also do the work to help Santa Gas Heights, to do the toy drives, to do the garage sales, to raise money for the pastor's pension fund, to do all of these things we invite this hope in. And I thought to myself, what might be different between a hope and a wish? A lot of us have things that we wish would happen, that we wish would take place, but I've learned that a hope is about something that is a possible situation that we either desired in the past, present, or future. Hope is about things that are possible. A wish is used to talk about situations that we desire but which are the opposite of the current reality or the impossible. When we hope for something, there is an active thing that takes place. Hope is not meant to be passive. We can always say, oh, well, we hope that our church will grow, but you can't just say it, if you invoke the word hope, that means you should act according to the thing it is that you desire. Now, if you wish the church would grow, then you don't have to do anything, because it won't. Because a wish is about the impossible. But if you say, I hope, then if you are hoping for something, like Jesus being born anew in your life, then your actions and behavior need to align with bringing that hope into reality. See, a wish, you may not be able to align with anything to bring it to pass. I wish I could win the lottery, but we all know that's something that's a little impossible. It's up to statistics and odds. And there's not a lot that I can do to align myself to make myself win the lottery other than buy, you know, a million tickets and then even then I may not win. But when you hope you have to align yourself with doing the things that are necessary to bring about that particular reality. And in order to bring about that reality and that truth, you have to accept the current condition that is. I cannot hope that things will change and not understand the way things currently are. Take this quote from Saul Alinsky. He says, as an organizer, I start from where the world is, as it is, not as I would like it to be. That we accept the world as it is does not in any sense weaken our desire to change it into what we believe it should be. It is necessary to begin where the world is if we are going to change it to what it should be. And here's the line I like. That means working within the system. A lot of us are hoping for change in the world. We're hoping for change in our life. We're hoping for change in our family. We're hoping for all of these things, yet we won't accept the reality.
of the way things are. We cannot begin to create a dream of hope and a dream of possibility until we accept the way things are. We do this with people. We want people to change, but we want to accept the way they are. The moment you accept the way they are, then you can begin to change and you can begin to hope for something better that you are able to move and grow and change in this particular situation instead of waiting on a wish, which is what you really have, that somebody will change. You can start creating the hope, accepting the things the way they are. What does that mean for me right now? I'm stressed, I'm worn out, I'm tired, and that means I have to accept that so that I can open myself to the beauty of this season. If I keep running around here saying, oh, we just gonna light the candle and we just go go and we just, oh, I'm tired. And not begin to hope that God do something in my life that you will open me up because I'm tired means that there's more service for the people to do, that I'm doing too much. So God, as I begin to think and believe, open me up to the hope and the possibility that the right people will be put in the right place to do the right things at the right time. Oh, and bless God, the right way. So that I can be open to that hope. Samuel DeWitt Proctor, one of my favorite pastors and theologians, he said in his book, The Substance of Things Hoped For, uh, Samuel DeWitt Proctor uh, knew Dr. King. Uh, he was the pastor of Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York. I've mentioned them several times. You should go look them up. The Abyssinian Development Corporation is responsible, uh, was birthed out of Abyssinian Baptist, but if you go to Harlem now, uh, it's very, um, it's not all black anymore. It's very gentrified. And Abyssinian Baptist Church, their development corporation, changed Harlem. They meant to get all the drugs off the streets and clean up all the crack dens and all that stuff, and they did it, but had the effect of pushing a lot of residents out. So this quote comes out of a place of context and understanding about the struggle of black people in his time and the struggle in Harlem and the struggle in his church, but it is a message for us today. He said, I learned that experiences that drag us kicking and screaming out of our small worlds and compel us to stand tall in another world can stretch our minds and forge our character and fuel our imagination. Hope in this time can fuel our imagination. Whatever the struggle is you have this season, this is a good time to reset. Don't deny it though. Denial is not a river in Egypt. Do not deny it. Face it. Understand what it is. Appreciate it even for what it is so that you can begin to create a dream of hope. Let it drag you kicking and screaming towards Christ in this season so that you can open up to the world of hope, joy, love, and peace 
that is coming forward. On Thursday night, I had a talk with one of my trusted advisors in the parking lot, and I'm a hope that I get <laughs> this story right. But we were busy cleaning the church, and I had to run out. I, yes, I went out to meet with uh, Tamika and, and Kathy as, as bodies, and then I came back to the church to pack up a few things and then to head home. And uh, I noticed Freddie was still out there in the parking lot. And I text Marcus, I said, I don't know what I'm doing out there. I wonder if everything's okay. I'm like, nope, it's all right. So I go and I pack up all of my stuff. And then on my way out, I was like, okay, if he doesn't look up, I'm not going to interrupt him. I'm getting my truck in. Well, on my way out, he looks up. And I'm like, okay, great. So I go find out what's going on. So I go over there. And he's sharing wonderful stories and memories with me. And then he said to me, Leslie, you know, sometimes you have to take the back door to get into where you want to go to. Sometimes you have to take the side road to get to where you want to go. He said, I, I call that the gravel road. And right then, right now, I started to, I was like, come on, Freddie, get with the, come on, what's the sermon? Go ahead and preach it, tell it to me. And he said, you know, my friend was designing the monorail for Disney World. And he designed this monorail, and, and when Nixon was going to come down and take the inaugural ride, the monorail was supposed to stop in a particular place so Nixon and, and you know, and, and all the executives from Disney could get out and they could take pictures and celebrate, but they had created this monorail. Well, Freddie said his friend was all worried about what they were going to do, because get this, the brakes on the monorail wasn't working. They weren't working. So Nixon and the executives from Disney and everything, they could have just, you know, they would have <laughs> kept on going. Now this would have been a mess for the person that has designed this system. So what did he do after he came to the final moment when he could not get it to work? He went and bolted some metal and steel onto the monorail so that the train would stop. Now it wasn't a smooth, easy <laughs> stop, but it stopped. <laughs> Some of us are waiting on the smooth, easy stop, but what we just need is a stop. It don't matter what it looked like. What matters is, did you stop? Some of us are busy not accepting things the way they actually are. Some of us think that we are actually on the new I-10, it's paved, it's smooth, and we will get to where we need to get to in record time. Some of us think we're on a toll road all by ourselves and nobody's on there. We can just hit 85 and fly down there and get to where we want to go. When in reality, your situation is, you are on the gravel road. The minute you begin to accept the gravel road, you'll be able to move faster on the gravel road. The minute you accept the gravel road, you can develop the right amount and kind of hope to get you off the gravel road into where you want to be. 
you know, people are like, well, I don't, you know, what are y'all doing over there at Cathedral of Hope? What's going on? What's happening? What's this? I haven't heard anything. I like that right now you haven't heard anything. Because we're on the gravel road right now. Amen. We're on the gravel road, but I can see some of y'all over there on I-10 doing 55, but we're still moving at 65 over here. <laughs> see, you can't see us on the gravel road, but I can see you just fine over there on the smooth side. We have to accept the gravel road so that we can develop the hope that we need. Whatever gravel road you have right now, I recommend that you look at it and just roll with it, as I said a few weeks ago. You may not have been designed to be on the smooth road. And while you're on the gravel road, God can get much more glory. How fabulous it is to say that you have built your life, you created your life, you have co-created with God, and that nobody gave it to you, you worked for it, that you built it all yourself. That is the hope that is on the gravel road. So in this season, let us begin to reset and remember and to work towards justice and love and peace, not just in the world, but in this church and in our families. This is our time to begin the reset while we hope on the gravel road. Amen? Amen. Amen.